Um, next week's our 100th, 100th Sunday, which is really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Three people are excited about that. That's great. But uh, hey, for real, you need to be here next week. Even if you don't have a suit, that's okay. So wear your Sunday best, whatever. Some of you are wearing your Sunday best today. That's great. No problem. There's no dress code next week. We just wanted to have something fun. So we encourage you to be here. Anybody like Chick-fil-A? Yes. Yeah. Some of you right now, you're like, oh, it's closed on Sunday. Why would you say that? Right. In the 1990s, Chick-fil-A had a, a major competitor. Really, Chick-fil-A was the competitor because they were actually going against a, a company that was a, had a little more margin, uh, a market share at that point. Their, their name at that point was Boston Chicken. It became Boston Market. And, uh, and so they, they were competing against each other for really the chicken business, for your chicken business. And um, Boston Chicken at that point had a pretty... Uh, high goal, high aspirations for how quickly they were going to grow their business. Um, they wanted by the year 2000 to surpass one billion with a B dollars in sales for chicken sandwiches and chicken. Um, and so that was their goal. And their goal was to grow bigger, bigger, bigger as fast as they could. And so they wanted to open new stores and new restaurants and all these different communities and just grow bigger and bigger as fast as they could. And so obviously Chick-fil-A was really worried about this. And so they were trying to then figure out how do we kind of counterpunch what Boston Chicken's trying to do and how do we get bigger faster and how do we grow our market share and how do we get more people to eat more chicken. And so their goal was to try to really beat Boston Chicken in this race to get you to spend money on chicken sandwiches. And so one day it kind of all culminated in a meeting in one of the boardrooms at Chick-fil-A headquarters. And, and Truett Cathy was there. Uh, the founder of Chick-fil-A and, and the vice presidents of all the different parts of the departments of their organization and all their marketing folks were in the room and they were talking about how do we get bigger faster? How do we beat Boston chicken? How do we get bigger faster? And they just kept talking about it and kept talking about it. And Mr. Kathy was very quiet and he was just watching and he was listening. And after a long time, a lot of discussion had gone on about how they could get bigger faster. All of a sudden, at the end of the table, Mr. Kathy banged his fist up on the table. And everybody's attention immediately turned towards him. And he said this. He said, I'm tired of us talking about how we can get bigger. What we need to be talking about is how to get better. If we get better... Our customers will demand that we get bigger. Pretty good statement, pretty good idea, and it really revolutionized the company from that point forward. If you've experienced Chick-fil-A in recent years, you know that their goal is to let you have the best experience. It's their pleasure to serve you. It's their pleasure to take your money so that you can spend it on the best chicken sandwich you've ever eaten in your entire life and waffle fries, right? And sweet tea that just drips out of heaven, evidently. And so their goal, after that statement by Mr. Kathy, was to attempt to get better. And guess what happened? As they got better, we demanded that they got bigger. And now there's a Chick-fil-A seemingly everywhere I turn. If I ever have a hankering, as my grandmother used to call it, for a chicken sandwich, I can usually find one within a couple of miles of where I'm at. Because he said in that meeting, if we get better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. It's a really wise statement by what we know to be, if you know his story at all, a really wise man. 
And the wisdom of his statement really changed the trajectory of their company and really the trajectory of that market. And by the year 2000, the year that Boston Chicken was hoping to surpass $1 billion in sales, guess what happened? They filed bankruptcy. And that was the year that Chick-fil-A surpassed $1 billion with a B dollars in sales for the first time in the history of their company. If we get better... Our customers will demand that we get bigger. It was wisdom in that statement. And we're talking about wisdom today, but wisdom is this tricky thing. I want you to think right now. You don't have to raise your hand. This is not a test. You will not be graded on this. Who's the wisest person that you know? Who's the wisest person you know? Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your spouse or a best friend. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's the campus pastor of the church that you attend regularly. Thank you. I kid. I kid. Right? Who's the wisest person that you know? Now, here's a follow-up question to that. When did you know that they were wise? Think about it. Like, what was the moment? When did it happen if there was a singular moment? Maybe it's just the culmination of a lot of wisdom. But when did you know they were wise? Like, when was the first time you kind of remember going, man, they're so wise? Maybe they said something to you, if it was a mom or a dad or a grandparent or some influential person in your life. Maybe they said something to you right before you walked down the aisle, right before you moved out of the house, right before you moved away to college. Maybe it was something on the job, right before a big acquisition on the job, or right before a big promotion, or after you didn't get the promotion. Not only when did you know that they were wise, but how did you know? What is it that they did that you observed that you think back now and you go, man, they're so wise because of this. Maybe you watched as they faced unbelievable obstacles, but they held their ground and they held to their morals and they held to their convictions. And in the end, they were proved right and they were successful and they won or they completed the task or whatever, even though other people didn't think that they could. Maybe it was through some business acquisition. Maybe they made money when everybody else lost money. How did you know they were wise? Who's the wisest person you know? When did you know they were wise? And how did you know they were wise? If you think about wisdom, wisdom is this tricky thing because wisdom is more than being smart. Right? I know a lot of smart people who are not wise. Maybe you do as well. Maybe you're looking at him right now. I don't know. I kid. I kid again, right? But wisdom is something different than being smart. And so we're going to talk about that for a few minutes today as we continue this series, Blueprint for Life. We've been looking at a how-to guide for Christian living out of the book of James, which is in the New Testament. So if you've got a Bible, flip with me to the book of James chapter 3. This series is a series that we've been doing for the last four or five weeks out of the book of James, which is a letter written by the half-brother of Jesus. And this letter really gives to us some really snippets of of really cool, wise statements, things that we can take and put right into our lives. It's a how-to guide for Christian living is what we've been talking about. So we talked about perseverance, really how to kind of stay the course and stick with it. We've talked about the way that we talk to one another. We've talked about having humility. And then last week we talked about working faith. What role does works play in faith. If you've missed any of these weeks, you can jump on iTunes and, and catch the podcast or go to our website and catch some of those files. I encourage you to do that so you can kind of be tracking with us. But today we're going to look at this idea of wisdom. And this is what it says in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I want us to look at a couple things that James references here before we move on. He talks in the very first verse that we read about wise and understanding. Who is wise and understanding? In the original language, these two things are not separate ideas. We have the word wise and we have the word understanding. And though in the original language there are some different words here, really this is a coupled idea. These two things are really married together in this phrase. So it's not just who is wise separate from who is understanding. James is saying who is wise and understanding together. Who is wise and understanding. He's not separating these two ideas out like you and I might when we were reading this. He's saying this is one idea that you are wise and understanding together. So who among you is wise and and understanding. And again, this is more than just knowledge. This is more than just information that he's talking about. And we'll unpack that a little more later on. He goes on to say that by his good conduct, the good conduct of someone who is wise and understanding, by that good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So this idea here is that faith and works, which we talked about last week, they play a part even in wisdom. So we talked last week about what role works play in faith. Is it enough just to believe that there is a God? Or are you supposed to do good things as well? Do you do good things before you can be accepted by God or before you believe? Or after you believe, then are you supposed to do good works? And so we talked about that, that we don't have a a works-based faith. We don't earn our faith, but we have a faith-based works. That once we are filled with faith, once we have faith in something, then we do works to really show or to represent the faith that we have. And so he's saying the same thing here. He's saying by his conduct, the way that he lives, the works of his life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. There's something that he's doing that demonstrates the wisdom by the way that he conducts himself. And then he goes on to talk about some things that you might see in people that are not exhibits of wisdom. They don't show wisdom. And he talks about, man, these things being unspiritual and demonic when they boast or they're, they're false with the truth, they're bitter, they have jealousy or selfish ambition. Those, those things do not demonstrate wisdom. They're actually earthly, unspiritual, demonic pursuits of something. And then he talks about that wisdom comes from above. Wisdom comes from above. Wisdom is something that comes from above. And when it does, it demonstrates these incredible things. And all of this list, which I'm going to read one more time, the last verse that we read, all of this list can be found in other places in Scripture to really describe either the nature of God or the nature that you and I can possess as we engage the relationship with God. Wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, And good fruits, impartial and sincere. All of those things are demonstrations of either the nature of God himself or the nature that you and I can possess when we engage in a relationship with God. And one of the things that I just loved, it stood out to me, and this is kind of an aside here. I'm jumping off ship for a second and I'll come back. Is open to reason. Some really smart people that I know are not open to reason. I think that's one of the things that differentiates smart people from wise people. Because smart people think they're not all smart people, but a lot of smart people think they're smarter than other people who may not know as, as much about the specific topic that they're talking about. But wise people understand that they can learn from anybody, maybe. 
They can learn from other people who may not know as much about the same subject that they are an expert in or really smart in, but they can learn from people that want to teach them or talk to them. So they're open to reason. They're open to conversation and teaching. I heard somebody say one time that teachability is one of the greatest attributes anybody can have. And teachability is defined as letting someone teach you what you think you already know. Teachability is not learning something that you don't yet know. Teachability or having this this sense of being teachable is allowing someone to teach you something that you think you already know to see if you could learn a better way or learn more information. So this idea of wisdom from above says that I'm open to reason. I'm open to conversation. I'm open to looking at these other people. It's widely understood in the Bible that in the Old Testament, this book of Proverbs, which we reference a lot around here, is written by a guy named Solomon. The reason we say that is because the very first verse says this is the book that Solomon wrote. So that's why we think that, right? So Solomon is a guy who is widely regarded as one of the wisest men ever to live. He was definitely regarded as the wisest man to live in his lifetime. People would come from all over the known world at that point to seek his guidance, to seek his counsel, to seek his wisdom. He was also known as someone who was extremely rich. And so this is somebody that you and I, I think, would want to pay attention to. And so the book of Proverbs is him gathering together a lot of these sayings, a lot of these teachings, a lot of these things that he has, that he's encountered or that he's brought together to say, hey, here's some pursuits of knowledge and here's the result of my pursuit of knowledge. Here's the the result of my pursuit of learning more and doing more. And so in this book, which are about 31 chapters or so, in this book of Proverbs, these things that he's compiled, you and I can find a lot of truth. I know a lot of people that even if they have other things that they read from the Bible regularly, they read a proverb a day. They read a chapter a day. So that every month they're just re-engaging some of the wisdom that's found in this book. And this is what it says at the very beginning of Proverbs chapter 1. So if I were to write a book, which I did little shameless plug there you can buy later out in the next steps tent. If I were to write a book, I'm going to tell you right up front what that book's going to be about, right? And so in Proverbs chapter 1, the very first chapter of the book written by Solomon, this is what it says beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline. To help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose, these proverbs, is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. To help them do what's right and just and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple. Knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Listen to this in verse 7. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So Solomon lays out this idea that these things that he has compiled are for us, the reader, to really gain more wisdom if we already have wisdom. Or for those of us that don't have wisdom but we have some knowledge to really gain insight into what that knowledge means in the way that we should live. And he says that these Proverbs are given to us so that we can live disciplined and successful lives. Let me just ask, anybody want to live that kind of life? Right? Anybody want to be successful? Anybody want to be disciplined? And that's not like you're getting a spanking. That means I want to live within some structure and guidelines that will push me towards success, right? 
And so he's saying there's a purpose to what I'm writing here. And you need to read this. You need to engage these things so that you can live a better life. But what does he say in verse 7? He says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. It all starts with fear of the Lord. And this is not, hey, I'm afraid of the dark, so I'm afraid of God. This is a proper understanding, a proper perspective, having a true understanding of who God is. I'm afraid of, I have some fear of things that I'm not really scared of. You understand what I'm saying? Like I have some fear of things that I'm not scared of. Now, some of you, you may be, maybe you have a fear of heights, but that's because you're scared of falling from those heights, right? So your fear there is coupled with your being scared by those things. But there are other things that you may have a fear of that you're not scared of. Does that make sense? So some people, some things we, we have fear of that we're not scared of. An example of that might be that you're, you, you have a fear, maybe, of, of flying. But you're not scared to fly, right? You're not scared that the plane's going to crash. And I'm putting terrible thoughts in your head for those of you that are just scared that your plane's going to crash every time you get in a plane. But you have this fear of flying because you're just not sure how all the mechanics work and you know those kind of things. But you, 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 you're not afraid of it. You're not scared of it. You have an awe of it. The fact that we can get into an airplane and in a couple hours we can be thousands of miles away. There's an awe to that. There's a reverence to that. You're like, man, look at this process. I get to eat peanuts at 30,000 feet. That's amazing, right? Don't eat the peanuts. Eat those little cookies they have. Those are unbelievable, right? So, so what we have is we, I'm not scared of flying, but I have a proper fear of flying because I'm in awe of that process. To an even greater degree is the idea here that Solomon's talking about. Fear of the Lord, a proper reverence of God, a proper awe that I don't dumb God down to where he's on the level with me, but I have a proper understanding of his place in my life and in the world. I remember, and if you have this t-shirt at home, please don't think that I'm preaching at you, though I am preaching at the t-shirt that you have. I remember when I used to see these shirts that says, Jesus is my homeboy. All right. Maybe you didn't see that. Maybe you owned it, but you're going to get rid of it later today. And that's okay. But I used to see these shirts that said, Jesus is my homeboy. And I know that people didn't really mean anything by that, right? I'm sure they didn't. And it was just something cool and funny and, and all that. To me, that was like so irreverent, right? Again, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at the guy that made the t-shirt. Unless you're the guy that made the t-shirt, then I'm definitely preaching at you today, okay? But I used to see those things and I used to go, man, no, he's not. Like we just sang that he paid it all. He's not my homeboy, right? And I don't want to get preachy to you. He's like the savior of my life. He's not my homeboy. I don't even have a homeboy. If I called you my homeboy, you would think I was an idiot, right? So he's not my homeboy, whatever that is. I have a proper, I hope, perspective and awe and a reverence of who God is. Who Jesus is. And so that fear, that proper perspective, that proper understanding is really where the true knowledge, the wisdom comes from. Because what we read is that we want wisdom from above, not earthly wisdom. We don't want something that's going to be futile for us and demonic and unspiritual. We want something that comes from and comes out of and flows naturally from the nature of God that reflects him, that's peaceable and pure and gentle and has good fruit and is open to reason. That's the wisdom that we seek. And we understand that one of the wisest men ever to live said that the place that that starts is really in a fear of the Lord. And I love how the Bible works together. I love how it all kind of pieces together. We're kind of coming to land this plane, no pun intended for the flying, falling planes earlier. We're kind of coming to an end here. But I love how the Bible pieces together. 
Because we talked about Proverbs and we talked about Solomon. The book of James, which we've been living in for the last five weeks, is often referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. James has written some really cool things for us, and we've, we've dissected this book pretty good. We've got one more week after today that we're going to look at, but there's a lot of really cool one-liners and two-liners, and there's some little short snippets of chapters, but there is some great teaching for all of us to take and apply to our lives. I mean, just in the few weeks that we've been dealing with it, we've talked about perseverance and humility and the way that we speak to one another and what role works and faith play together and really wisdom. And next week, we're going to talk about a really cool topic while we're doing with the 100 Sunday, but... There's all these really cool things that James writes to us about, and it's often referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. And we read that in Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon told us about wisdom and about knowledge, and that his Proverbs were given to the wise to make them wiser, and to those that just had understanding to really help them understand how to be wise. But guess what? In James chapter 1, he also talks about wisdom. And this is a verse that if you grew up around church, you probably heard this. Interestingly enough, we started this entire series with the preceding verse, but we stopped because we knew we were coming back to wisdom later. But this is what it says in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Verse 5, here's the foundational verse that's on your coffee mug somewhere at the house. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives it generously, without fault, and it will be given to you. Now, what does he say in verse 4? He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And here's what we talked about the first week, if you were with us a few weeks ago. I talked about running a 5K, right? Lean muscle, this is what I am. I talked about running a 5K, and I talked about that there came a moment in that race... That my muscles started to ache, right? And, I, and I was, my lungs started to burn. And I kept running, right? I, I don't like to fail at anything, so I just kept pushing through that. And there came a moment, probably because I just couldn't feel my legs anymore, that it didn't hurt, right? I couldn't feel my lungs anymore, but they didn't sting anymore. And I realized that there was something else in me. There was a capacity to continue going beyond that. But oftentimes, you and I miss out on that because we don't keep going. We stop when we start hurting, Right? And that happens in life. And what James told to us, and I'm not re-preaching week one, though it was really good, I think. I'm not re-preaching that. But what James told us in verse four was he said, listen, let perseverance, let that keep running when it starts hurting. Let that keep going when you're not sure how it's going to finish. Let that perseverance do something in you. Let it create in you this maturity and completeness so that you don't lack for anything. And then here's what's funny about what James says. He says, you just need to keep going in perseverance so you don't lack for anything. And what's the next phrase? But if you lack wisdom, you need to keep going so you don't lack for anything. But if you lack wisdom, I think implying that many times we're going to stop before we're made complete. Before we're made whole, before we're fully mature. But he said, in the midst of that, you can still seek wisdom. Perseverance is what creates the completeness. But even in your uncompleteness, you can still ask God to give you wisdom. And that's big for some of us. Because we stop when it hurts. And we give up or give in when we don't know how it's going to play out. And those are the moments that we need wisdom the most. And guess what? You can still ask God for wisdom when you don't know how it's going to play out. 
And when it still hurts and you're uncertain and you're afraid, what do you do when you lack wisdom according to James? You ask God. Simply, you ask God for wisdom. And here's some questions that I think you can frame your asking God around. These are Jeremy questions. These are not God questions. But these are questions that I think are good places to start as you determine your wisdom or lack thereof. Okay? These are not going to be on the screen, but you can write these down. I'll go kind of slow. These these are some questions that I think are really, really key for all of us. What don't you know? I mean, if, if you're trying to get wisdom... Let's start with where we're deficient. What don't I know? What are some things that I need to know? What don't I know? And what do I not know how to do? Maybe it's in the leading of my family. Maybe in our personal finance. I need, I need to know how to budget. I need to know how to manage finance. Maybe I didn't see that growing up. And so I need to know how to do that. I need to find books. I need to find people. I need to lean into that. What do I not know or what do I not know how to do? Maybe there's a lot of things that you don't know. But you need to start with what don't I know? Here's the second question. What don't I know that I don't know? Now, some of you are really confused. Let me rephrase it for you. What do I think I know everything about? What don't I know that I don't know? What am I unaware of that I am ignorant to? You ever met somebody that thinks they know, but you know that they don't know? Right? I mean, they're standing there full of pride and arrogance and self-righteous. What I'm, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of somebody. But you, they're standing there and they think they know. But you're looking at them going, you don't really know. You don't know. I mean, they think they know who's getting the promotion. But you just signed the paper and you know it ain't them. Right? And you feel bad for them or you hate them and so you're okay with it. I don't know how you deal with that. But for you personally, what don't you know that you don't know? I mean, if you're trying to get to a place of wisdom, let's figure out what do we think we know really well. Like if teachability is allowing someone to teach me that which I think I already know, this is probably the first place to start. What do I think I know better than anybody else? Because what did we read in James chapter 3? He said that if you are truly wise, wise from above, that your conduct will show that, and you will actually approach that in meekness, not arrogance and pride. Meekness and humility will be the kind of the posture of your wisdom. Most of the wisest people I know, I think I could probably say all of the wisest people I know, are some of the most humble people that I know. Because even though I look at them and go, man, look how wise they are, they are constantly in pursuit of more wisdom because they know that they don't know it all. I think that's what separates really wise people from unwise people. So what what don't I know? What don't I know that I don't know? Here's another one. Who knows what you need to know? Who knows the things that I need to know? I mean, whatever my examples were, you've got a hundred other examples, I'm sure. But if you can answer the question, what don't I know? Who knows those things? Who do I have in my life? Who do I have in my sphere of influence that I can seek counsel from to learn the things that I don't know? Now, again, we... If we lack wisdom, we are to ask God. But I believe that God can put people in your life that can teach you things you need to know. 
I know he's done it for me. There are relationships I have right now that have taught me things I had to know. And I believe they came as a divine appointment from God. Because God knew I didn't know something. And he knew they knew it. And our paths crossed. Who knows what I need to know? Here's a little thing I made up. It may not even be right. Okay? Full transparency. It may not even be right. But it makes a lot of sense to me. Knowledge without application is just smarts. This is being smart. If you know something but you don't apply it, it's just smarts. Application without knowledge is chaos. If you just got a bunch of people running around doing stuff, just applying stuff, but they don't know what they're doing, that's just chaos. But wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. If you have knowledge without application, it's just being smart. You're just, you're just book smart. You ever met anybody that just book smart? They got no common sense at all. They'll run into that door on the way out here, but they can tell you stuff you didn't even know was true. And it's really true. Knowledge without application is just smart. Application without knowledge is chaos, but wisdom is the application of knowledge. And we're going to come to this in just a second as we conclude, but let me just give you a foretaste of this. I think personally one of my issues in my Christian life and probably in yours if you're being honest is that some of us are so book smart, and this is the Bible I'm using today, so I'll hold it up. We're so book smart that we're not holy, we're haughty. Right? We're arrogant about how much we know about the Bible. But it hasn't made us any holier. We, we know it. We have knowledge with no application. Guess what? We're just smart. We're not wise. We're just smart. So if wisdom is the application of knowledge, here's one more question for us. What do I know that I need to apply? What do I already know that I need to apply? Can I tell on myself for a second? I'm in a constant pursuit of knowledge. Ask my wife. I love to read. I read all the time. I follow people on Twitter that put links to articles that I can read. Not people that tell me that they had Italian last night. Like, I follow some of them too, but I love following people that have links to something that I would find engaging, that I would read and learn something about. I have a constant pursuit of knowledge. I think my problem is applying some of the knowledge that I gain. Application is where I lack sometimes. So if wisdom is applying knowledge, then, then I'm lacking in wisdom because I'm just gaining more knowledge without ever doing anything with it. So what do I already know that I need to apply? And here's some follow-up questions. These are just kind of for me. This may not even be for you, but if you don't understand what you know, do you really know it? Right? Like I could tell my son, my six-year-old, who's still learning kind of basic math principles, I could tell him some really obscure math, you know, the Pythagorean theorem. He's going to know it. He's not going to understand it, right? I don't understand it. So does he really know it? No. He's just heard it. He hasn't applied it. He doesn't know how to apply it, and so he just knows the stuff. If you don't understand what, what you know, do you even really know it? And if you don't apply what you know, does it even matter? 
If I don't apply the things that I know, it doesn't matter that I know them. In, in my opinion. If I don't apply them, like I'll go back to the budgeting example. If I know good budgeting techniques and principles and guidelines and frameworks and here's how you put your money and here's what you, you tell your money what you're going to do with it. And you, but I don't do anything with that. It doesn't matter what I know because it hasn't changed my behavior. Wisdom is the culmination of behavior. It's the works that I do, right? It's the conduct according to James. How I conduct myself, revealing with my works the meekness of wisdom that I have. So if I don't apply what I know, does it even matter? And let me just really basically here, in about three minutes, let me just sum this up for most Christians, myself included. A lot of Christians that I encounter, people in church, people outside of church, people that say they're Christians, people that don't. And I'll come at it from a kind of a negative perspective, okay? Someone might leave a church, maybe this one or another. And I've probably heard this a couple hundred times about this church, other churches. I mean, churches in other parts of the world. And, And they would say something like this about why they're leaving. And there are definitely valid reasons for leaving church. But they might say something like this. And this is not the point, but here's here's kind of what they say. I'm not being fed there. Right? Not being fed there. And here's what I would say in response to that. Then you're missing the point. Because if you only eat on Sunday, you're malnourished and don't even know it. Right? If the only time I ate was when somebody put food in my mouth, I would starve to death. Because they quit doing that a couple years ago. Right? My wife and I, we have kids and we are teaching them as they grow older how to more and more feed themselves. And, And we still prepare almost all of the meals. But there are times when we're doing something else and our kids get hungry. And you know what my son Branson does? He goes to the pantry and he gets a loaf of bread. And he takes out two pieces of bread and he puts a piece of cheese in between those two pieces of bread. And because he likes it this way, he goes to the other closet and he gets out the cookie cutter. And he cuts the bread into a shape of a dinosaur or a house or a heart or something else. And he eats that sandwich because he was hungry. And we weren't there to feed him. And here's what I think, for me included, sometimes. My lack of wisdom is that I'm waiting on someone to feed me. When I know where the bread's at. I'm starving to death with the food on my nightstand. Or my coffee table. Or in my purse. Or heaven help us now in my phone that I never leave anywhere. My lack of wisdom is not for lack of knowledge. It's for a lack of application. Here's how I summed this up. I'm going to jump to the last slide first, guys. Here's how I summed this up. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. That's wisdom. It's not what you know. That's just being smart. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. Right? True at Kathy knew... That if we get better, we'll get bigger. While everybody else was just trying to get bigger. 
I can know how to budget, but if I don't do anything with those principles, I will never have a better financial picture. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what I know. And so here's the plan of action. Every week we've had a plan of action. We've had some things we were going to take and apply into our lives. And there were questions or there were statements or there were things. But here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to change it up a little bit. I'm going to give some things that you probably already know. That I already know. And so today is not about teaching you something you don't know. Today is about challenging us to apply what we already know. If wisdom is knowing what to do with what we know... Let me remind you of some things that you know. And the plan this week is let's do some of these things. Here's some things we already know. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's start there this week. No new knowledge for any of us because we know this. This was the greatest commandment according to the Son of God. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then he goes on. And so let's just try to do this this week since we know it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's do that this week. Let's love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let's love our neighbor as ourselves. Here's a third one. Honor your father and mother. Here's another one. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let's do that this week. We know it's in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's do that now that we know it. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto God. Let's do that this week. This is the words of Jesus found in his first sermon. He said, you've heard it said, don't murder. I say, don't have hate in your heart. Let's don't kill anybody this week in our heart. You want a plan of action? Let's do what we already know. Why? Because wisdom is knowing what to do with what we already know. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what we already know. So you want to be wise this week? Think about what you know. Think about what you don't know. Think about what you don't know that you don't know. Think about who knows what you know. Think about what you know that you haven't applied. But ultimately, let's just do what we already know. Let's just do what we already know. This week, I'm just going to start with some basics. And I'm going to attempt to do better what I already know well. That the most important thing that I can do is love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love my neighbor as myself. And to honor my father and my mother and to love this woman here as Christ loved the church and I'm not a wife but wives submit to your husbands as unto God and even though I've heard it said don't murder and I've never done that don't even have hate in my heart I'm going to start there and maybe there'll come a day where I do all of those things well. And then I can move on to learning new things that I'm supposed to do. But I'm just going to start doing the things I already know. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what I already know. And my prayer for you this week 
is that you live wisely. You live wisely. You don't, you don't try to get bigger, more successful. You don't try to do, you just try to get better at doing what you know to do. That your customer service, your encounters with others, your conversations with others, it becomes your pleasure to spend time with them. It's not an annoyance to you to spend time with your family or your friends or those people on the job. It's your pleasure. You're going to get better at what you're doing. And I believe that God will grow in you the things that you want. He'll give you the desires of your heart because there is wisdom in knowing what to do with what you already know. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Proverbs and the Old Testament from a really wise man who told us that fear of you, proper understanding of you, an awe and a reverence of you is the place that we start in our pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. I thank you for the book of James, which is your brother, Jesus, who taught us that if we lack wisdom, we can just ask you, God. And so today, Lord, I pray that you would help me to be wise this week. That you wouldn't help me to even be more knowledgeable but you would help me to do what I already know. That wisdom is applying knowledge. Help me, God, to do that this week. Help me to live that out, I pray. Pray that for every person in this room, that we would live lives that honor you. We wouldn't create some type of arrogant, self-righteous, haughty, prideful, look at me, I've got it all together, I'm so wise. No, we would just get better way we treat people we'd be better on our jobs we'd be better in our homes we'd be better in relationships with others that we would love you God with all of our heart soul mind and strength and if we haven't figured that out yet that Lord we would just keep working on it and we would love our neighbor as ourselves. and if we haven't figured that out we would just keep working on it we'd honor our father and mother and we would love our husbands and our wives and submit mutually to one another we'd get rid of hate in our heart towards others help us to do what we know to do. Let us live wisely this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.